Harp on Sports with Seth Harp. You know what time it is. Three, two, one. Let's do this. Go, bartenders. Go, food needs refill. Harp on Sports, the bar, podcast, media, audio, and radio network. What do we have in store for you on this edition of the program? Super showcase, baby. Here we are. Philly, Kansas City, the one seeds in both conferences. Hooking up for a Super Bowl title. Something that's only happened, what did I see, uh, twice? It happened three years ago when we had the Niners and the Chiefs, right? But it's only happened two other times in the last 16 years, 17 years, something crazy like that. So, rarefied air when it comes to this. Going to look at both conference championships before we dabble into the Super Bowl a little bit. Also, oh, got some good stuff today. More or less, Kellen Moore, no longer the offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. If I'm the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I'm all over this. All over this dude. He's going to get a job, going to get it quick. He's a scapegoat, along with Nussmeyer there in Dallas. Somebody had to go, not going to fire the coach, fire the coordinator. Uh, okay, Kellen Moore, Tampa, get it done. I'll tell you why he's the perfect fit for what they want to do. And also, Keontae's calling. is Keontae Johnson takes on the Florida Gators. What do you have? 13 and 11? Is that what he finished with? And Kansas State just absolutely skull drags Florida and what it means for the Gators going forward. Harp on Sports, the bar, podcast, media, audio, radio network. Remember, follow, share, like, subscribe at Harp on Sports Twitter, at Harp on Sports Instagram, Harp on Sports, the bar, auditory route, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Harp on Sports YouTube page, and of course, Harp on Sports, the Facebook page, and the website. At HarpOnSports.com. For those of you watching this video, I've got my Lenny Dawson, Kansas City Chiefs, jersey on. I'm not a jersey guy. I don't wear them. It's like wearing another man's clothes. But I felt that it was needed uh, for this one. Because Lenny was there. Maybe. At Arrowhead. Hey, look. I'll start off with the Eagles first and what the Eagles win over the 49ers means. And that actually has monstrous ramifications. The Eagles were just sitting back the last, you know, few weeks. They got healthy. They drill the Giants. And then look, the, the Niners basically quarterback less without Brock Purdy and Josh Johnson, but they had to run the ball the whole third and fourth quarter. It was ugly. It was awful. You know, but it's gonna change the narrative here. The the question is Brock Purdy, that elbow, is it a UCL injury? And of course we know what UCL is. Baseball players, it's Tommy John surgery. If that thing is busted then you're talking, he's not going to play football at all next year. Not at all. So you have Trey Lance sitting there. I mean, this is set up perfectly for Tom Brady to come to the 49ers. It is now. Brock Purdy's injury opens the door for Tom Brady to walk right into San Francisco. It does. And that'll be the thing that doesn't necessarily bubble to the surface, maybe for the next 24 hours or so. But oh boy, once that MRI result comes back, to me, if he's injured and he's done for the year, then... Brady to San Francisco makes perfect sense. Or then you can start talking about the Aaron Rodgers to San Francisco stuff. But if the Packers are going to trade him out to San Francisco and watch him win a Super Bowl. So that, that'll be interesting because the Niners are, you know, a healthy quarterback away. Brock Purdy almost got him there. Does this mean Purdy's career is done? Well, we'll see how bad that injury is, but he'll play again. They, they could ride with him next year. They could, but if he's banged up and he's injured and look, it, it, it makes sense to bring in a veteran. Now, 
What does that mean? Well, it sets some up some other dominoes. What happens in Tampa? And we're going to get to that Kellen Moore situation here in a moment. But that, that that's the that's the big thing that came out of conference championship game that nobody's really talking about is how the the situation was set, or at least the groundwork is laid for Tom Brady to head out to the Bay. Now, look, Eagles are going to be tough to beat. Eagles are favored in the Super Bowl, and they should be favored in the Super Bowl. Dylan Hurts looks good, defensively like good, but they haven't been tested. Not really. They haven't. And I don't know how much of a difference that makes when you're crushing everybody. Does it matter if you're tested or not? You know, the Super Bowl is the Kelsey Bowl, or is it the Andy Reid returns to Philadelphia or takes on his former crew bowl? And we talk about coaches and championships. Winning a second one's just everything, isn't it? Winning a second one's everything. And I was trying to think about this. Other than Belichick, what's, who's the last coach to win multiple Super Bowls? Think about that. I was trying to think about that today. I'm like, well, wait a second. Other than other than Belichick, who's the last coach to win multiple Super Bowls? Because you start to go back through and look, and, well, Bill's got, what, six of them, seven of them. So it's like, good gracious. You're like, wait a second here. Who? Well, Arians has got one. Reed's got one. And I, Pete Carroll only won one. And Sean Payton only won one. And is it is it Mike Shanahan? The last coach to have multiple Super Bowls? It, it, Gruden got one. You can get one, but to get multiple Super Bowls is tough. Dungey got one. Kubiak got one. It, it's just tough. Think about that. Another fun little storyline. If Andy Reid wins a Super Bowl, he'll be only the second coach since Mike Shanahan to win multiple Super Bowls. So those are just a couple of the storylines. See, I got a couple of minutes to this podcast. I even mentioned the Chiefs went over the Bengals yet. Look, were there some questionable things? Yeah, of course there were. But how I look at like calls like that is do they affect the outcome of the game? That's how I look at them. You know, if there's a, a, a play that's missed, a called third strike that's missed or something like that, okay, did the next guy get out? What what happened? Did the next guy ground out? Did it, did it burn him? Did the bad call burn him? And with the Chiefs and the referee running on the field late there in the fourth quarter and didn't hear the whistle or we heard the whistle and, okay, the play is stopped and it wasn't stopped, they got another chance and then they get the holding call and they get a first down, they had to punt. They ended up having to punt, so it really didn't hurt them. It didn't hurt. It really didn't hurt the Bengals. It didn't. So I, that's, that's kind of how I look at things, right? Like fouls at the end of the game with LeBron and the no call, that cost the Celtic or cost the Lakers the game on Saturday night. It didn't cost him the game. Well, I guess he could have missed the free throw, but but this one, it, okay, there's a couple close ones. All right. Well, there was a no-holding call, and then there was a roughing the passer that should have been called on Burrow, and okay. There was on the massive play that Burrow threw a first down on. I saw Frank Clark get held, and it happens. Got held bad. Got held, actually, late in the game. He actually got held in the end zone when Burrow made one of those big plays. So that's a safety. So, But see, that's just it. It just, everything seemed to go against the Bengals. And then look, the late hit out of bounds, that, that's your ball game. That's your ball game. And it's funny how people want the referees to swallow the whistle in that situation. Could you imagine? Look, he hit him out of bounds. He hit him a good yard out of bounds. It wasn't bang, bang. He took a step and extended his forearm. I, you know, I understand the other calls. Do they have an impact, Do they have an impact on the outcome of the game? I had a boss once. Good gracious, I'm not going to mention his name. Good night, man. I've had some really awesome bosses. 90% of my bosses have been awesome in my career. This guy was a dingleberry. And I'll never forget, ever, 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 not going to say it is an SEC school that he went to. But I remember they got drilled by Auburn once. And I remember him in the office going, well, the refs had like three big calls, holdings that took touchdowns off the board. What were you holding? 
That doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> yeah, because if that's the case, well, then the Chiefs should have been up big because of Pacheco's touchdown run that got called back. These things happen. Did officiating cost the Bengals the game? If correctly calling a late hit out of bounds cost the Bengals the game, then yes, it did. But the other calls, the official coming in late and the holding and things like that, look, didn't affect the outcome of the game. And the Burrowhead stuff. I mean, you've got the MVP who's hobbled. And, you know, when the mayor and everybody starts taunting you, it, you're the Chiefs, you're, the, you're, you're in your fifth straight conference championship game, you're an underdog. You're down three receivers. You're down three receivers in the fourth quarter. You're down two starters on defense in the fourth quarter. And I don't know how much that resonates at that point. I don't. But I do know this. It didn't help Cincinnati. It didn't help. And, you know, you have Chiefs players getting nailed for taunting penalties. It's funny if we're going to sit here and talk about, well, uh, come on, let him play. It didn't have an, out- an impact on the outcome of the game. Taunting never has. Unsportsmanlike conduct like that never has an impact on the game. I always say this, and you hear me say it time and time again. I think it's so fascinating in a sport that we pride ourselves on manliness and toughness that if another player flexes or stares at somebody, we've got to flag them. Tough. Play with broken legs. Play with broken arms. Tough, tough. Oh my God, did you see what he did? He flexed. We need a penalty. Fascinating to me. But but look, it's going to be a great Super Bowl. It is. The Bengals will be back. And, you know, I, I wrote down some things here. We know it's the Chiefs, the Bengals, and the Bills in the AFC. Yeah, the ba- the Bengals drilled the Bills. They're going to be fine. They're going to be back. They're going to be- They're okay. They've got their quarterback signed. They've got some work that they need to do, but they're going to be okay. The Chiefs, this is supposed to be a rebuilding year. For crying out loud, they've got four starters, five starters that are rookies. It's supposed to be their rebuilding year. And the Bengals will be back too, but the one thing the Bengals don't have going for them, wrote this down, these things are important. Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow are still on rookie deals, which means Chase is going to be, he's going to reset the market for a receiver. Jamar Chase may be the first $200 million receiver in the NFL. Maybe. So if Jamar Chase is a $200 million receiver, Joe Burrow is going to be a $55 million a year quarterback. The minute you start shuffling money into those situations, it's tough. Look, the Chiefs had to make that decision this last year, didn't they? Tyreek Hill had to go. Can't pay everybody. Got to pay Kelsey. Can't pay everybody. Chiefs chose to pay offensive linemen rather than Tyreek Hill. That's what they chose. The Bengals are going to have to make that decision, too. they got to build up front. They've got all these receivers. We've got to pay guys. The thing that the Bengals, the Bengals, if you're going to talk about windows with the Bengals being only one more year, you kind of have to look at that, that they don't have their two big guys under contract. They don't. So financially, they're going to be, they got one more year financially before it starts to become tight on them. The other thing is, you know, you look around, the Jaguars want to join that party. I tell my Jags friends, look, you built your team through free agency. That doesn't last. You've got the quarterback, which is gigantically important. Offensive line up front, you've got Cam Robinson signed. You're you're okay up front, but Evan Ingram's a free agent. He's not going to sign for less than $10 million a year. You're probably looking at $13 million a year to keep Ingram. You're $13 million over the cap. You can cut some guys. It's going to be tough. The Chiefs are where they are because they draft better than anybody else in the NFL. They do. Last five years, the Chiefs have drafted better than anybody else in the NFL. That used to be the Patriots that did that. Now it's the Chiefs. So they draft what they can. It helps when you have Patrick Mahomes. But the way this is set up, those are the big three. In the NFC, you'd like to sit there and point to the Philadelphia Eagles as being, okay, that team. Uh, the Niners are right there. It's the Niners and the Eagles. So you got a big three in the AFC with the Jaguars peeking around. But look, they're in salary cap trouble. and They're going to have to rebuild this thing and they're going to have to draft better. 
They are. The, the Jags draft horribly. They just do. Go back and look at how many picks they've had to cut and trade and get rid of. Well, plus they got to make a decision on Josh Allen on the defensive line. You pay him $17 million a year. Now all of a sudden you're back to $10 million over. Got to figure out something. In the NFC, you know, you got the Eagles and the Niners. The Bucks and the Packers have exited stage right. So now what else is there? The, the, the Cowboys are going to be good. It's going to be fun. The one thing I would say out of this weekend, people are going to point to officiating. The one thing the NFL needs to do, stop it with a 53-man roster. Make it a 51-man roster, and the three quarterback three quarterbacks don't count against the 53-man roster. The NFL were smart. Quarterbacks would not count against the roster, and they'd shrink the roster. 51-man roster, you get three quarterbacks. Now, you want to add a fourth quarterback? Now, fine. Then you're down to 50-man roster. But the NFL needs to fix this. Or if you really, really want to go crazy, make it a 50. If you, can, you can have 54 players, but you have to dress three quarterbacks. I just think it's just easier to do a 51-man roster. The quarterbacks don't count against the roster limit. Because you can't have a team in a conference championship game handing off the ball. You can't. It's the one position that's the most important position in sports. And it's the position in sports that has the fewest backups. You can blame teams for that just because of the rosters, but you can remove this equation. 51-man roster, three quarterbacks don't count to the roster. Okay. So there we go. Speaking of there we go, Kellen Moore, no longer the defensive, or excuse me, offensive coordinator for the Cowboys. The Buccaneers should be all over this. They should. Kellen Moore spent his entire coaching career with the Cowboys. He's quarterback's coach and became OC. And the Cowboys wanted to blame somebody. All right. Looked like a genius against the Buccaneers, didn't he? You got to see him up close and personal, Tampa, a couple weeks ago. Now you find yourself in a situation where Byron Leftwich is gone. You got to figure out what you're going to do offensively. Kellen Moore falls into your lap. People forget that Kellen Moore with Cooper Rush, didn't they go undefeated? So if Kellen Moore is calling plays and Cooper Rush is successful, and the Cowboys are winning early in the year. The Cowboys win a road playoff game. The Cowboys go out to San Francisco or competitive, but fall behind and lose it in the fourth quarter. And you want to blame play calling and blame it on Kellen Moore? Go for it. But if you're the Bucks and you got to figure out what you're going to do, you've got Blaine Gabbert. Do you want to give Kyle Trask a run here? If you're going to give Kyle Trask a run, then Kellen Moore's your guy. Kellen Moore's the guy. Now, Kyle Trask hasn't beat out Blaine Gabbert yet, so we have some question marks with Kyle Trask, don't we? But Kellen Moore should be the next OC. And, you know, as I mentioned, Brady's gone. Brady's not coming back to Tampa. And <laughs> you find yourself in a situation that they've got to get the quarterback figured out. Julio Jones is aged out. The Bucs are going to be rebuilding here for the next two years. They are. The good news for the Bucs is that division is terrible. Carolina's probably going to have a rookie quarterback. The Falcons may have a new quarterback. Or are they going to roll with Desmond Ritter? The Saints. Oh, my gosh. How bad that division is. So that's one good thing the Bucs have going for them. This is how bad that division is. And look, yeah, you could bring in a Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe a Derek Carr and, and patchwork it and go 10 and 7 next year. You could do that if you want to. But then that pretty much means Kyle Trask is time done. So you got to make some decisions there. But Kellen Moore, Kellen Moore should be the, the Buccaneers' next offensive coordinator. He will be an offensive coordinator here in the next three weeks. Just a question of where he ends up. You look around the league of where he could go, new coaches, new places. I... Some offensive coordinator is going to get hired. I mean, don't be surprised at all. I, I, I said I would be surprised, I guess, at this point. If Eric Bieniemy would ever leave Kansas City, then Kellen Moore would go to Kansas City. So if you're the Bucks, should hire this man. Cooper Rush. Forget about Cooper Rush. Kellen Moore calling plays. This Cowboys team was good. The problem with this Cowboys team is they lost a game late in the year in Jacksonville that they shouldn't have lost. They scored, what, almost 40 points in that game, didn't they? Kellen Moore's a scapegoat here. 
is a good offensive coordinator, is going to be a head coach in the NFL. Buccaneers would be wise to hire him. They really, really would. Okay. Yeah. Boy, it's just amazing. 12 months ago, we were talking about Byron Leftwich being the head coach of the Jaguars, and now he's fired. And Kellen Moore interviewed to be the head coach of the Carolina Panthers a week ago, and now he's out of a job. It's crazy how this league works, isn't it? That's why you get your money while you can get it. Take the job when you can get it. One to wrap with this. Keontae Johnson in Manhattan, Kansas State, drills Florida. And, you know, I've said this, and look, I, I from what I've seen, it's been pretty positive. If you root against Keontae Johnson, you're, you're scum, you're turd, you're vile. There's a guy that wants to play again, wanted to play. I understand why Florida didn't want to clear him. I understand that. The same way that I understand why, like, boxing commissions don't let fighters fight when they get to a certain age. You don't, you, you can't have that on your conscience. Why you don't let players play with a concussion. I get why coaches are, get off the, you can't, we're not doing this. I understand why the Gators did it. He had a heart attack. He almost died on the court. And Florida's like, we don't, we can't. I look at the Keontae Johnson situation with the Florida Gators the same way I look at it like your high school sweetheart. We've all been there, at least most of us. We've all dated people that we weren't going to marry. You care about them. They mean the world to you, but you're just not going to marry them. And the Gators just, Keontae, what? It just wasn't going to work out anymore. So he goes and he has success and Kansas State's good. And to me, could they make the Final Four? You bet they could. I think they're a Sweet 16 Elite Eight style team. I know they're ranked fifth, but I'm, they're good. They can go up and down. They are, they're good. It's a good basketball team. Big 12 champion, good. You bet. Kansas State could end up being a one seed. They'd also end up being a four seed. But the way I look at it, Florida compared to them, look, they're a better basketball program. I think Todd Golden's a good coach. Florida, not ready for that yet. Just like they're not. Look, they get, what do they have coming up here? They get Tennessee at home. And it's an interesting stretch for the Gators. But good for Keontae. I'm glad to see him succeed. Look, see, wishing other people well, if you view that as an indictment on your favorite team's success. I look, I, I never wish anybody ill. I don't not in that situation. Yeah. If you're a serial killer. Yeah. Okay. I hope, hope you get caught and you get lethal injection. You bet. But I mean, somebody's a good person. Why would you wish him ill? And I, I look at what his career is going to be. I don't know what he's going to be at the next level, but good for him. Good for him. I understand why Florida let him go. And I understand why he still wants to play. Um, just because it worked out for you. Um, somebody once told me this, like Mrs. Right, but not really. Instead, Mrs. Right now. Oh, okay. He's Mr. Right. Um, he's Mr. Right now. I get it. Um, Gators sitting there 12 and nine, five and three in the conference. This is the big four game stretch. Tennessee at home, Kentucky on the road, Bama and Bandy. If they somehow can get two wins there, then they probably going to make the NCAA tournament. They go one and three. Then they're going to be 13 and 12 and six and six in the conference. And now is where you need to win five or six. You need to start doing things like that. This four game stretch for them is everything. Now they can still make the SEC tournament and still win it. There's avenues here. There are, there are avenues here for this, but the way I look at it to me, these next four games, they had a chance to go into Kansas state and do it. They didn't, they get Tennessee at home. Okay. They have to go to Kentucky. All right. That, to me, the most, it's cool to thought this, the most winnable games in the next two weeks are Kentucky on the road and Vandy. If they can go two and two, they'll be 14 and 11. 
seven and five in the conference, and, and then things kind of ease up a little bit. They'll be fa- maybe favored in one of those games, maybe. It's a brutal run. But if you want to make the tournament, you got to win games like this. You know, so many teams, RPI, top 50 wins, or quad one wins, quad two wins. You got it. Here you go. Look, if they, it's amazing how this works because if they would beat Tennessee at home, then all of a sudden they're 13 and nine and six and three in the conference. And all of a sudden you're starting to talk, well, wait a second, this team could win 10 games in the conference. This, this team, you know, at 13 and nine going to Kentucky, they could be 14 and nine and Bama. See, see how quickly it changes? So, in order to make the tournament, you should have to win games like Tennessee. Last year, what did they do? They beat Auburn at home. They won a big game at home. They're going to have to do this. But Todd Golden has done a nice job this year. It's a different style. Brought in a bunch of guys. Okay. Is it, it, it's not going to be, it's not going to fare much better in terms of result this year as it was last year. Maybe this team can make the tournament. Last year, the NIT team, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe this year they can make the tournament, but these next four games are going to tell the tale. They really are. But who's Keontae's weekend? Good for him. Lynn Dawson style. Harpod Sports, the bar, podcast, audio media and radio network remember follow share like subscribe at harp on sports twitter at harp on sports instagram you can also check it out auditory route buzzsprout apple podcast and spotify harp on sports the youtube channel harp on sports the facebook page and of course harp on remember stay clean stay focused stay strong frankenstein have fun with your friends